Another fine, glorious day. Come on, put the smiles on, man. Whenever we get together like this, man, I know it seems like a broken record of mine, but as long as I'm up here, I can do it, right? It is a glorious day when we can get together. Wherever two or three are gathered, right? He's here with us. It doesn't matter if the sun's out or in or if it's going to... Man, that was a lot of rain, wasn't it? Woo! My goodness, I thought my dog was going to get washed away. Anyway, be that as it may, man, we get a chance to study the Word of God together. And, uh, and uh, so I, I need you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. This is one of the accounts or stories in the, uh, in the Gospels that I share um, when I teach inductive Bible. Uh, this is one of the main uh, assignments that I give the students. So it's a passage I'm familiar with, and, and that, but yet it is packed um, with just personal applications in it. So I'm praying that you'll have a pen in hand and jot down some thoughts that maybe you can just mull over later on and pray over. Uh, but uh, again, starting with verse 35, Mark 4:35 says... And the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, his disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. There arose a great storm of wind and waves beat into the ship. It just shows us how bad the storm was so that it was now full And he, speaking of Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they waked him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He arose, he rebuked the wind, and he said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why is it that you're so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceeding. And said one to another, Man, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Praise the Lord. Let's stand together, Bible in hand. Let's pray together. Father God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you've told us it's alive, it's quick, it's powerful, that's sharper than a double edged sword. And then you told us what that means. Lord, your word is so powerful that it can deal with our thoughts, it can deal with our hearts, it can deal with our lives collectively and even individually. Your word is powerful. And I love it, Father, we all do. And and again, we think of this time, the Sunday mornings, as a privilege to be able to sing to you, great is our Lord, to be able now to open your word And again, to make that appeal to the Holy Spirit, would you, Holy Spirit, come and just instruct us this morning. Again, we don't want to leave here the same way as we came in. We want to be changed a little more into the image of our Savior. We love you, Father. Commit our hearts, minds to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said together, amen, amen. God bless you guys.
Well, in verse 35, the same day, that kind of gives us again that timeline. And for you guys that might be visiting, we are in a series. What, first time in how many years? I've never done a series before. And um, it's the life and ministry of Jesus. And I'm having a blast doing it. I don't know about you, man, but uh, just studying the life of Christ. There's something so powerful in that, you know, and... uh, Yeah, because I think the more you know him, the more you become like him, right? In fact, you can even see that in the natural realm. When you when you study someone and you adore someone, you 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 become like that person. Amen, guys. And so, um, studying his life, this is right after he has finished the parables uh, there in Matthew. We I think it was chapter thirteen. We were studying the parables of the kingdom. This is the same day. He's now done, done these parables. And it tells us the same day when the evening was come. So, you know, it's twilight or the sun is beginning to set. And I would question, is that a good time to sail? You know, is that, is that a good time to go out into the water and to navigate across the Sea of Galilee? Now, listen, the Sea of Galilee is not a sea. It's a, it's a, a, a lake. It's not even actually the largest lake. Uh, in fact, it's quite small. And I think it's seven and a half miles long and five miles wide or something like this. You can see across it from the Gennesaret side. So it's not all that big. But what we do know about that sea is there are times. In fact, I went online just the other night just to see if they uh, recorded uh, storms on the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, you know, or the Sea of Tiberias. It has all different names in the Bible. Um, and some of the largest waves recorded, in fact, 2015, they were recording waves between 13 to 15 foot high on the northern end of it. Because of the ravines on that side of the sea and the way the wind would funnel through, you, you're talking about a, a, a pretty hefty storm. You know, the, on, a, on a lake. And um, so, but the one thing in verse 35 that I think it's important for you to kind of highlight. I'm not going to make it a major f- a point or a focus. Uh, but he did say, hey, to the guys, let's cross to the other side. And um, when he had sent away the multitude, all those who were listening to the parables. Uh, he takes them and he puts them into a ship. Now, I don't know what you're your mind's eye view of a, of a ship it, like during this time period. But this, the, the ship is not all that big. In fact, in 1985, 86, 1986, they had just um, discovered, actually they call it a Jesus boat. There were these two farmers, literally just two guys that had a hobby of searching for artifacts on the Sea of Galilee, uh, that during a, a drought that Israel was having, they stumbled across a, a nail, a, an iron nail. And they thought, well, that's kind of odd. And they began to mess around in the mud, and they, they found a piece of wood. So they realized they had come across something um, uh, of significance. So they called the powers to be, and they came. They started to d- dig around a little bit. And sure enough, they discovered this 24-foot boat. Uh, It's around roughly four feet wide, four and a half feet wide. Um, The remaining of it was only about four foot high. 
Um, but they began to kind of really dig into it right on the spot to kind of come up with a, a date of it. And it dates back to the first century, like 50, um, 50 BC to 50 AD in that time period there. And they realized that this boat was a part of the, um, you know, that time period when Jesus and Peter and all the guys were, now I'm not saying this is the Jesus boat. You know, boy, wouldn't that be cool if they found a little plaque? Hey, Jesus was using this boat, you know. Well, no, maybe that would not have been a cool thing because then everybody would be kneeling down and worshiping a boat like humans have a tendency to deal, do. Um, but it does, de- uh, does, and then just the way they built the thing, it's kind of a, in fact, you can go online. There's a lot of research that's been done about that boat and it's, you can go in it, but it's not really a big boat at all. So to face waves 13, 14 feet high, now you kind of get, that's why they were fearing for their lives. You know, that's why they, they would say to Jesus, what's the matter here? You don't care that we're, we're dying here. Now it tells us in verse uh, 20, uh, 37 that the storms came and again the winds uh, beat uh, onto the ship and, uh, and now the ship is pr- pretty much filled to capacity. Jesus is now in the, um, uh, the stern of the boat, the rear of the boat. Um, yeah, I believe that's what it is, the stern. And uh, he's asleep. Now, you've got to like a guy that can do that, that can just sleep through anything. And he's asleep on a pillow. And again, the question comes, and it's, I don't believe it's a, a question of doubt, but it's more of a question of fear. You know, I, I, just, I don't, again, I think it's a life-threatening storm. These are experienced fishermen. They've been out in storms before. So it kind of gives you that idea. They're fearing for their lives and they're questioning whether Jesus really cares or not. Now, you've never asked that question, have you? Don't you care, Lord? I'm I'm just saying, you know, just um, of course you haven't. He gets up in verse 39 and he rebukes the winds and he rebukes the sea. And I love the wording here. It says, peace be still. But the Greek really makes a, a grand slam out of this thing. It literally means be muzzled. Now that is just too cool. You know, because you don't get the idea that, okay, the waves started to slow down a little bit. In fact, if you read the, or see the old Jesus film and Jesus gets up and he puts out his hands. And even in the film, he doesn't say anything. Here he's saying he does. He vocalizes something. Ken Graves does a great poem of this thing where he grabs a hold of the mass and he says, be muzzled. If you know Ken, you know, that's his kind of thing. And, and then immediately, it's like a sheet of glass. The winds just don't slow down, you know, and the waves start to kind of... Let the, it, and that's why, that's why it, they, they use that word, and they feared exceedingly. It, it wasn't just because of the power that demonstrated. It's that he had, listen, he had control over nature. Now, the reason that is important, because if we venture back into the Old Testament it, it, with the Hebrews and with even pagans, any, any deity that can control the weather needed to be feared. In fact, they, would, they even believed that no human could ever control the weather, but only deity could. Now they're looking at Jesus and they're going, what manner of guy is this that even the winds... And the waves obey his direct command, be muzzled. 
And again, he says to them, after it was all over, hey, why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? Now, look, I do this, again, I mentioned before that I do this little IBS course. And, um, you know, one of the questions during um, the, the course is, why why did Jesus have to ask that question or why? I mean, it was apparent that they were. And a lot of times it goes right back to verse 35. Oh, Jesus gave his word. Let's cross to the other side. And it's, And all that is true. Jesus did give his command to cross to the other side. And did they forget? No doubt they they did forget, you know. They forgot exactly what Jesus had said and what his word was. Let's go to the other side. You know, but oftentimes we do the same thing. We'll read the word and and sometimes we just, and maybe because of a storm in our lives. And I'm I'm not talking about just, you know, not being able to pay a bill or, you know, you're you're fearing that the car is going to break. I'm talking about a life-threatening storm. And he doesn't really rebuke them because of that. I, I don't believe that. And I think it, the reason and the reason I, do, I don't believe it is because in this text, he uses two different words for fear. The one where they're fearing, they're fearing, the word literally means they're fearing their circumstances. They're fearing life. They're fearing things that, that they, they're coming against. But when Jesus says, why are you so fearful? He uses the word phobia, which literally means you're losing control. And they did. They've lost control. And you think about that, you know. Did Jesus perform any other miracles before this? Because we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, we find out indeed he had. He had healed the man with a withered hand. He healed the paralytic man that was carried by the four men and lowered through the hole in the roof right there. He's the one who healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He also was one who cleansed the leper. And that is just to give you a few. So they they know that he is special. They know that he is somewhat divine. There's something between this man Jesus and this God. and and, And because they're fearing their circumstances. And he's saying, no, you're fearing a lot more than... And again, why? They just, they, they let go of something. Maybe they let go of that word. Let's cross to the other side. Maybe they let go of just what he had been doing in their lives up to this point. One miracle after another miracle after another miracle. Listen, I I understand them. And I know you do too. And And I still deal with issues of fear. A lot of us do. Some more than others. My life first is Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. I am your God. Yea, I'll uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I still deal with that from time to time. And God reminds me of all the things he's done in my life. All the things he's done with my family and with the church. And I go, oh yeah, I forgot. I let go. I let go. I forgot. You know, there was a, there was a man. I read this little thing. Maybe it was in Reader's whatever but it was a man that was compelled to go over a a wide frozen river and notwithstanding the assurances that he had uh, through those that were familiar with the region and repeatedly crossed on solid ice the traveler feared to undertake the trip then finally he began to crawl his way over 
And when near the middle of that frozen stream, he was startled by the sound in the distance and caught the sight of a heavy team of horses pulling a large wagon of pig iron. And yet there was not the least sign of a crack in that ice. What a foolish thing it is to fear and to crawl like that. He goes on to say, would the word of God hold us or fail us? And of course, it's obvious the word of God will hold. There's no cracks. He's a God that changeth not. He had said, let's go to the other side. They were going to get to the other side. He had performed one miracle after another miracle. And let me get a little test here. Has God ever done a miracle in your life? And I don't mean a physical here, just a miracle. You knew it was him that did it. Would you raise your hand if God's done that? Look at this. This is 95% and the rest of these just weren't quick enough. (laughs) God does things in our lives, but because we're still in these finite things here, we have the tendency just to forget. But he is a God that loves us. And he is a God that wants us to fear him. Not phobia. He doesn't want us to fear our circumstances and our storms of life. He does not want us to do that. I want to show you a picture here. And uh, don't worry, I'm not getting all millennial on you. But this does kind of help me out here. Uh, if you guys could kill these lights, and I want to show you a, pan- a painting of uh, Rembrandt. Now, this is Rembrandt's painting, uh, 1633, I believe he painted it. And, um, and by the way, that, that painting was stolen in 1990. And uh, when it was first stolen... Uh, there was a $5 million reward for it. Today, presently, the FBI has just recently offered $10 million. So if you want to make a quick buck, <laughs> I'm just saying. No, actually, the FBI has also released that they're pretty sure they know who took it, but it was organized crime, and they're not thinking it's ever going to be recovered. But this is Rembrandt's painting, and it's the only seascape he has ever painted. And the reason I, want, I, I wanted to show you this picture is because of their, their expressions their, and different personalities that are in that ship. He did that purposely, by the way. And if you notice carefully, there is not 12 apostles or disciples, there's 13. Because the one hanging onto the rope there with the blue garment on, where his hand's on his head, that's Rembrandt. And the reason he painted himself in that picture is because he himself personally was going through a storm, a crisis. He had just lost three of his four daughters, died. And shortly after that, he lost his wife. Then the historians goes on and said, not too long after that, his mother also passed away. Now, they're not sure because he was so distraught Depressed, but then he went totally bankrupt. When he died, he was penniless. One of the greatest painters in that century. Twelve paintings were stolen that day. And uh, if you go to that museum now in Boston, same place where it was stolen, all you see is still the empty frame there. And you can read all about that. 
But I also want to show you something else too, guys, in this painting. You see the guy all the way up in the bow, the front of the boat. He's trying to repair the front uh, sail there. And you can see the determination on his face. The three that is at the center mast, they're trying to haul in a sail that's already ripped to shreds and they're just frantically trying to hold on to it. Then you notice the guy towards your, uh, to the, uh, uh, what is that, the, the stern, no, the bow, the, right, the left side. But he's hanging on because there's a wave that's just getting ready to push him right over the side. He's holding on with one hand. Then if, Jerry, will you show that other picture? Notice where Jesus is. You have the two gentlemen that are looking at him, and most likely they're the ones saying, don't you care that we're perishing here? You see all the different personalities that are here in this painting. You also see, and it's hard to see it, but the guy right leaning over the boat, hand on head, he is sick. He's vomiting. There's another guy who has just totally given up, and he's the one who's turned away behind Rembrandt and is just looking down. The one you can't really see is the guy run, right under the one asking Jesus the question. There's a, there's a dull image there, and that man is praying. Then there's another guy at the tiller. He's trying to control the, the boat. I wonder how he's feeling right now, knowing that he's the only one that can steer the boat in this storm. Then you see the other one all the way up at the top. And again, it looked like he has a red headband on. His expression is nothing but terror, terror and fear. Thanks, guys. You can take that off. See, there is a difference between the fear of man and, and the fear of God. The fear of your circumstances and trusting in God. And I think sometimes, guys, you know... Um, the difference between the fear of God and the fear of man is this. When we have the fear of man or the fear of circumstances, the fear of storms in our lives, we have the tendency to hold on to things. And that's a, that's a sure guarantee for just doom or failure. I think more than anything, the fear of God is a demonstration of being able just to let go. Let go and let God. Ever hear that saying? Let go and let God. Sometimes we're clinging on to things and holding on to things we don't even have to. In all your ways, you know, trust in the Lord, right? Isn't that what the word says? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, even in our storms of life, our difficulties. I know this, this illustration has been shared over and over and over, but I kind of dug around and I found out who originally came up with this thought and wrote this example or this illustration. His name is uh, James McConkie and his article was called In Faith, but it goes like this. It says, a traveler upon a lonely road was set upon by bandits who robbed him of all of his all. They then led him into the depths of a forest, and there in the darkness they tied a rope to a large tree and bade him to catch hold of the end, the end of the rope. Swinging him out into the blackness of the surrounding space, they told him that he was hanging over a brink of a diggly precipice. I don't know what diggly means, but it's over a precipice. 
And in the moment, at the moment that he would let go, he would be dashed to pieces on the rocks below. And then they left him. His soul was filled with horror at the awful doom impending. He clutched desperately to the end of the swaying rope. But each dreadful moment only made his fear more sure. His strength steadily failed. At last he could no longer hold on. The end had come. His clenched fingers relaxed their convulsing grip. He fell six inches to solid earth below his feet. It was only a trick the robbers used to, to gain an escaping time. And when he, had, when he had let go, it was not to his death, but to the safety which had been waiting him through all his fears. Guys, sometimes we're hanging on the things and we're only six inches above we're not, it doesn't mean the end of our lives. It doesn't mean the end of, of what we know to be life. It's only, I think, guys, the difference between the fear of man and the fear of God is just that. I think the fear of God is knowing who he is. And when you know who he is, you know he's consecrated in your life. He's consecrated. God, listen, God is consecrated, set apart from anything else in your life. It's that God will not share anything or anyone on, on that throne with him. God, I consecrate. Remember going back into Leviticus. We called it the, the burnt offering or the offering of consecration. I consecrate my life to you. That's the fear of God. It, it, it's where we sanctify God. It's where we bless God. When you come here and you're worshiping God, God receives that as a Roman arrest. That's why, because we've hallowed him. We have set him apart in our lives. That is the very thing that we have in our lives where if something, where the enemy addresses sin or debauchery or anything like that into our lives, we don't say no because of legalism. We say no because of a relationship we have with God. Why? Because God is hallowed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Guys, God is outside of all in our lives, should be. And if he's not, the tendency to fall into the fear of man or the fear of circumstances um, will be more. You'll have more of a tendency to go in that direction. You know, I just, it's, it's when we revere him. It's, it's when we esteem him. That's the fear of God. It's not, see, when we, so many people teach about the fear of God and it turns into this real negative thing. Oh, the fear of God, as if it's a phobia. No, the fear of God brings in liberty. The fear of God brings in joy. The fear of God brings in a righteousness, the right onness. The fear of God brings in godliness, the way God wants us to live. It's a, it's a joyful thing to know and to experience the fear of God in our lives. You know, we know that He is the object of it. Isaiah eight thirteen says this, sanctify the Lord of hosts and let, listen, Isaiah again, 8.13 for note takers, he says, and let him be your fear. So if you're saying, I'm, I'm fearful of, of sinning, that's not the fear of God. I'm fearful that I'm going to fall short. That's not the fear of God, folks. I'm fearful that I'm going to just blow it. No, no, no. That's the fear of circumstances. The fear of God is holding God and esteeming God above even those concerns. Does that make sense, church? 
If it does, say a loud amen. amen. You know, I, I know it's what God wants in our lives. And the reason why he wants this in, a, in our lives is because when we fear God, we walk in his ways, we walk in his will. We find ourselves loving him more, not less. If the fear of God was legalism, something we could just try to write out and say, hey, I'm going to do this thing, well, it would become legalism, and legalism only causes death. But no, it's grace. It's grace. It's something God wants in our lives. Because it tells us again in Deuteronomy 10, 12, listen to the wording, just write down the cross-reference. Now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul? What is he saying there? This is what God is asking. Number one, to fear him. And then to walk in all his ways and to love him and then to serve him. Now, I don't think he's just, he penned that out like for some kind of order. But I think that that's so important that we learn to fear him. Because when we have this reverence and this awe of God in our lives, no doubt we'll walk in his ways. There's, there's not one, one doubt in my mind. If you fear God like this, you're going to, th- in your heart, know that I'm in the will of God. And you're also going to not only walk in his ways, but you're going to find yourself more admiring him like that last song we just said let me tell you so i wish you guys could stand up here doing one of those songs to hear you dear people just sing to your savior i i just i glory attack and then finally just to serve him usually the reason people, and there's many, but some uh, a reason that people just don't have any concern or any, they don't have any motive at all to serve him. Safe to say is you, they just don't have the fear of God in their hearts. Because any God that you esteem, any, anyone you adore, you admire, hey, don't you want to serve them? Don't you want to love them? Don't you want to walk in their ways? Listen, the bottom line is this. It is a characteristic. It is a characteristic that all believers should have, and that is the fear of God. Malachi 3.16 says, And they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened, heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that fear the Lord, it is just who we are. You're going to be written down in a book of remembrance. Now, it's a different book. The book the, there's a lot of books in the Bible. The, 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 lamb, the book of the Lamb. There, there's, this book of remembrance is those who have feared the Lord. Listen, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but why is it so necessary? Why does it seem that I'm just kind of like encouraging you over and over and over in this relationship that we should have with God? Let me ask you before I go over these necessary things, God. You know, do you have it? Have it? We shouldn't even call it an it. But do you fear the Lord? 
Do you admire him above anything else? Is he revered more than anything else in your life? And it's okay to say, no, it really is. Because we're we're told in Jeremiah that it is God that puts the fear of God in the hearts of his kids. It is God that does that. I kind of think it's a gift. But you have to be honest with him. No, no, Lord, I, I, I don't admire you the way I should. I confess that. And no, I, and listen, this, this might be a hard pill to swallow, but God wants you to revere and honor and respect him and to love him even more than our children. Sounds weird, don't it? For mom and dad, especially. Because you, listen, a lot of us dads, we'd die for our kids in a heartbeat. We wouldn't give it two thoughts. Moms, you would do the same thing. But God says, with the fear of God, you'll be able to love him more than a mate, more than your jobs, more than whatever you have revered and esteemed in your life. He says, if you let me, I can put this in your hearts. It's a gift. It is a gift. Why is it necessary? Number one, I think it's because it perfects holiness in our lives. Don't kid yourselves, guys. God has called us to a life of holiness. Now, I know it's a little dangerous saying that because right away the legalist is going to go right out into, you know, legalism and find a way for you to be holy. You and I both know there's a difference between holiness and righteousness. Holiness is just the way God wants us to live. Righteousness, according to Romans, is something that's been implanted in our hearts. The righteousness of God. The right onness of God. Justified by faith? Absolutely justified by faith, just as if I never sinned. But when I allow God to put that fear, reverence, esteem, and I let him do it, I find myself living a life the way God wants me to live it. And I think that's so important, especially, listen, young people. The older you get, I don't know. We have our our struggles, but not like when you're young. I, I do. I pray for our young people today. I pray for the school, the school, all they're being bombarded with in universities and, and even in high schools and even all the way down into elementary for crying out loud, things I've heard. You guys are facing a giant, man. I, I get that. But nonetheless, God has still called you, if you're a Christian, to live a life of holiness. To live the way God wants you to live. I listen to the music. I heard a song not too long ago. And it was just about people grinding it on the floor. And we have Christian kids listening to that. I don't know if our music was any better. But I think your prayer life, you should be praying that God shows you how to live a holy life unto Him. The fear of God does that. Also, it helps us 
Even, well, you know what? Second Corinthians 7, 1 for you note takers. I see a lot of people writing. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. You know what it says there? Listen, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting it. Also, avoiding sin. Avoiding sin, um, Exodus chapter twenty twenty. It, it says, Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God is come to you to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces. Why? That you sin not. See, when I esteem God in my life and I revere him and I adore him and I pray the Lord, hallowed be your name, there is strength and there is this spiritual gift that's inside where you can actually go, you know, I'm not gravitating that way anymore. I'm a child of God. Don't we sing a song around here called, I'm a child of God? Yeah, dance to that, kids. Again, as I had mentioned earlier, Psalms 2.11, it says, serve the Lord with fear. Serve him. And I really believe it is so necessary, the fear of God, the adoration of God, because it's necessary to worship God, to worship him. Or it's just going to be a nice little song service that you're going to have with yourself. It tells us in Psalm 7, verse, or pardon me, Psalms 5, verse 7. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of mercy, and in thy fear will I worship towards your holy temple. Guys, you could just take it your own time with the Lord. Get out your concordance. Write down all the different places where fear, the fear of God, the fear of man is all mentioned. And you'll be blown away of what God will show you. The liberation. The, just the joy you'll start to experience because you know that you are now in the will and in the presence of God. And you're doing it in the right on this way, the godly way. And there's something powerful about living a godly life in the fear of God. Does it make sense? We can't hold on to our fears. We've got to let go. We've got to let go of the phobias. Man, that was my whole MO growing up as a kid. And I know there was a re- good reason for it. But man, every time I had to face a difficult situation as a kid, man, I was gone. You wouldn't be able to find me. As a teenager, I would hitchhike it right down the street and get as far away from that situation as I could. My dear mother, I used to drive her nuts. Where is Harry now? One time I found myself in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I had just become a Christian. I'm still gripped with fear. I was so worried about people and what they thought of me and what and God, what he thought. And it was there on this little kind of a cliff overlooking a bay. It was just he and I. And he didn't tell me it in King James. <laughs> but he spoke to my heart and he told me not to be afraid that he was with me. That he would never leave me and that his hand would uphold me. Isaiah 41.10. Hey, and I would like to tell you that I was totally delivered from the fear of man and my circum... But I wasn't. No. God says, but I'm by faith, let go. Don't hold. Be still, he says to me. Just be still. Think of that verse, Psalms 46, verse 10. 10, be still 
and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the heathens. That word to be still literally means I want you to relax. I want you to let it drop. I want you to abandon. Let it alone. Just be still. And then to know, it literally means to discern or discover, or even, maybe even to consider. This is where we hear the voice of God when, in our stillness. This is where we would say, let go, it's only six inches. You're not going to die. You're going to live. Let go. The ice is four feet thick. You're not going to break through. He is God. And if we want to experience him as that supreme, revered, an awesome, hallowed God, then we have to ask God to fill our hearts with his fear, his reverence. Amen? Richard, if you'll make your way out. You've got to remember, guys, there is not... There is not, listen to me, there is not anything you're going through right now that God has not orchestrated in your life. Wait a minute, Har. I thought this was the devil, not for the child of God. God is not going to allow Satan to tempt you to do evil. We're reading that in James He'll test you to see if you'll let go. He'll prune you to kind of, so you'll produce more fruit in your life. But if you're going through a situation, instead of thinking it's your circumstances or you totally blown it or whatever, just focus on God and be still. Know that He is God. He'll take you through this. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask you too, again, guys, if you're going through something in your life, and I know, I know this church, I know so many of you, and I know you are, facing things that you just, you want to, you, just, you don't want to blow it, you just want God's will to be done, and again, that's an issue of prayer, isn't it? And I'm just going to ask you again, as I do every week. And I will until I drop over. I'm going to challenge us to be a a church that knows how to pray together. You're going through something this morning or you're in a very crazy storm in your life right now. And maybe you can identify with one of these guys. You're doing everything in your might to try to hold on to a sail. You're doing everything in your might, man, trying to, you know, fix something. I can make it better, God, if you just give me the group. I can do this. Or maybe you're the guy that's looking at the very top on the starboard side saying, we're doomed. We're doomed. Maybe you're praying but not believing. Or maybe you're trying to navigate like the tiller through this storm. You need to stop. And you need to let go. I believe that's what faith is. Not clinging to, but letting go. If you need prayer, I need you to come up this morning. The prayer team will be up here. You just grab them and just, you don't have to go real deep into the details or if, if it's personal, just say, I just need prayer.
and they'll pray for you. Amen, guys? And Richard, I'll close this out in prayer.